Welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This is episode 105, a number I never thought we'd actually get to. And this will signify the, f- the pioneering of folding women into this podcast. I don't know the shape it takes, but I'm actually very excited about it. I knew this day would come. Ellie Mae was on here. That episode aired uh, last night. I'm looking forward to this. I have a woman here with me. Her name, she's going to go by the name of Joy. She is Rob Harley's wife. And Rob Harley's been on here several times in previous episodes, and we'll be back for more. So, Joy, I'm glad that you're here, and thank you for helping me test drive this. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Uh, this is this is totally new. I'm very excited about it. Anyway, what's your age, Joy? 49, and I have a birthday coming up in two weeks. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. I mean, are you married, divorced, single, remarried? Married. Uh, I have been married for 27 years. Uh, one marriage, and hope it continues. I think it will. Do you have any children? We do. Uh, our oldest is 26. Uh, he is in the Coast Guard and married, and so I have a daughter-in-law. And I have a 22-year-old son who just finished college and is off the family payroll, which is wonderful. He's making <laughs> his own way in life. And a daughter who is uh, 21 and in college, and the, the kids are just wonderful. They're the, the delight of our life. And let me couch this interview in some context. Joy and Rob have been over over here recording. We've we've laid down several episodes that will appear after this one, probably maybe well after this one. I don't know for sure yet. But Joy and Rob are being very good sports with me. They know I'm excited to get this aspect of bringing women into the podcast folded in. So I've just dropped questions in front of Joy. She has not had time to prepare for this. I told her I would introduce the caveat that she has not had time to think about these questions at any depth, but I just wanted to get this started, and Joy will be coming back, I have no doubt about that, but I wanted to at least get this started. Most of the journey is usually about kicking it off the curb and getting it moving, and from that point forward, that's a little bit of momentum. So in a nutshell, Joy, how would you describe your family dynamics growing up? I grew up as the youngest of four kids. So my mom and dad uh, have two boys and then two girls. Uh, My mother actually ran away from home at 16, married, had two little boys and divorced, and then met my dad. They married and had two girls, and my sister is only 11 months older than me. So they had two girls close together very quickly. So there's about five years of age difference between the two boys and the two girls, and I'm the youngest of of the four kids. Uh, Most of my life, most of my childhood, I didn't know about the first marriage or that my two brothers were from a previous marriage. It was a family secret. There was a lot of secrets and dysfunction in our house. Uh, My dad worked on the river. If you see those towboats pushing barges up and down the Mississippi River, that's what my dad did my whole life. So he would be gone for 30 days and then come home for 30 days. The month that he was gone, My mom would be very depressed. Uh, There was not a lot of cooking or cleaning or interaction with us. It was a very quiet, kind of somber house. And then when my dad was home, it was like, let's go, go, go. Let's do fun things. Let's go out to eat. Let's cook big meals. And it was like life just had a lot of energy. Um, And it was just up and down like that, um, which which was really odd and not a lot of stability to it. I think my mother suffered from depression. There was just a lot of fear and fighting in the house between the siblings, not with my parents. I didn't see my parents fight, but my brothers fought with each other, um, and they were 
pretty violent and rowdy in their fighting. And there was a season of time when my sister and I would have to go to my grandparents' house just because my mom couldn't quite control the two boys as they got bigger. And it just wasn't a healthy place for us to be all the time. We moved a couple of times and I changed schools a couple of times. I think that contributed to me feeling a lack of security. And so there was a sense of put your happy face on when dad is home and everything falls apart when dad is not home back and forth in my growing up. And we went to church for a few years and then stopped after we moved to a new place. And my mom didn't encourage friendships. She didn't want us to have friends over. She would say that friends come and go, that you can't count on them. And it was better just to be close to your family. But our family wasn't very healthy. So I just grew up being really quiet and staying out of everybody's way and trying not to make anything worse. All right. So what about your adult life briefly to this point? Have you been raising a family, a career, something else, a mix of multiple things? Right now, I pastor a church. So I've gone through quite a journey. I encountered a lot of healthy and good relationships in college. Um, have really grew in understanding myself, learning to love myself, having healthy relationships with other people and good friends. Married a wonderful man who gave me a sense of dependability. That I think that was one of the things that attracted me to Rob the most was that uh, he was present and dependable and consistent. The way he acted with one group of people was the way he acted with another group of people. If he said he was going to do something, he did it. He's very responsible, very dependable. He fixes things that, are, that get broken, can handle a crisis better than anybody I know. He's even-tempered. He's patient. Uh, he makes other people feel at ease. He was everything that I needed in uh, a partner and a friend and a husband. So in that, I raised children for several years as a stay-at-home mom and loved it and highly endorsed that role as a, as a good, wonderful opportunity to nurture your children. And then I felt a call to go into the workforce as a pastor. So I've been uh, working full-time now. I I was part-time for a couple of years, then went to graduate school. I've been full-time now for about eight years. All right, so let's shift gears here. So would you describe the general condition of dating or marriage relationships between men and women today as healthy or unhealthy? And then why would you describe it this way? Generally, I would say unhealthy. But I think if there is maturity and health in the individuals, that their dating life is probably healthier. But I'll just talk about the climate of dating. I think that we have an expectation of no boundaries in relationships. And we have created a sense of happiness is the is the highest idol to go after. And what you're looking what you're looking for, I think, from what I'm observing is you're looking for someone to fulfill you and make you happy. And that's not a very healthy thing. And so I I think we have a lot of immature people who don't know how to love sacrificially and be active in giving to another person. And what they want is to receive. And we have two people who just want to receive and not give. You've you've got a very shallow, hurtful relationship that's not going to last. So I think we have, through social media, through uh, reality TV, we have have made dating such a uh, romantic, perfect model that it should be that everything else is going to fall short. So you're going to be dissatisfied from from not having the ideal of what you're seeing on The Bachelor or 
what you think your friends are experiencing and you're going to measure yourself by all of those other celebrities and images you see and you're going to think, okay, I don't look as good or my date wasn't as adventurous or this person doesn't have the money that that one, you know, that I want in a date or whatever. And you start looking at the lack of what is not there instead of appreciating what is there. Do you believe that women in general in our culture today are happy? I think a lot of women pretend to be happy. I think that, in fact, a lot of women are very miserable. I think they're miserable because the expectation is that you can do everything and you should do everything and you should have everything and it should be done well and perfectly. And nobody can measure up to that, uh, which breeds a lot of disappointment and judgment. Um, I think there is a lot of jealousy and I think there is a lot of dissatisfaction that you're not, your life is not as good as you think everyone else's life is. I think we're living in a lot of illusion. We have created false selves through social media um, and we idolize glamour and celebrity and fame and wealth and adventure and, and all of this. And we see, we see maybe another woman achieving more and it's, it's not okay anymore to say, I want a simple life. I think a simple life that's not cluttered up is a healthy and a good life. But our society says your life should be full of stuff and activity and busyness, which makes you tired and frustrated and you can't hold all that together. So I think by and large, we're in a culture where women are miserable. If you were to pick two things that you believe modern men could do differently that would benefit overall relationships between men and women, what would be a couple of things that that might come to mind. And I have given you no time to think about this. Right. So you, right. you're, you're totally flying. You're shooting from the hip here. I understand that. I would say verbal encouragement. I think men, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'll say that men think more encouragingly than they speak. Using myself and women that I know as my point of reference, women want to know they're doing things well. They want that, that affirmation. Um, especially when they feel like they're not doing things well or they can't handle everything that's going on in life or it really is overwhelming and too busy. They just want to hear somebody say, I admire you. You're doing a great job. You handled that really well. So I think for men to vocalize compliments and encouragement is really important. The sense of I have a true partner I can count on that your husband is a friend or the the person you're dating is a friend that encourages you as a cheerleader for you. They're for you. They're not trying to fix you, but they're for you is really important. And so if a guy can just settle down in the, how can I be a companion who is for this woman and give her encouragement and really say when, when I see her doing or being in a certain way, that's admirable pointing that out. You know, we, we criticize ourselves. We women will tear ourselves apart and criticize ourselves and we'll criticize each other. But to have that voice say to you, uh, you know, you really navigated that problem really well, or you really got, you got that figured out. I really admire you. That means so much. I, I don't know why, but a compliment or a praise or an encouragement from a man means more to me than from a woman. There, I mean, there's a sense with my, my girlfriends that are friends that are like my, my sisterhood, we will encourage each other. Sort of that, that bickering happens more distantly with other women. But I've got my little group of women that they'll say affirming things to me and I love it. But I also know that they're saying it because they love me. And I would say the same to them because that's what we do with each other. But for a man to point out, you handle that well. It really means a lot. 
All right, well, let's flip the question. If you were to pick a couple of things that modern women could do that would benefit relationships between men and women today, can you think of anything? I think for women to invite men to be part of their life instead of expecting them to know how to be part of their life. Uh, I think it's communication is, is a big problem. For you to be able to say, I need your help, instead of waiting for the man to realize that you need their help would be a lot healthier and more productive. Um, I think a lot of women, they want men to notice that they need something and then they resent when they don't. And it would be so much better to just say, I'm really having a hard day and here's why and this is how you can help me. And for a woman to be able to say that, she's got to feel like she's being heard and she has to feel like there's not going to be a judgment or an eye rolling or an exasperated, I don't want to deal with your stuff today from the man. She, there has to be a sense of, of, of a drawing you in, a closeness there where, where you feel, for me, I have to feel comfortable knowing I'm not bothering my husband. I'm not infringing on his ability to get things done. That, that's an unhealthy point of view. So instead, in the security of knowing that I'm in this good, healthy relationship, I can come to him and say, it would really help me today if you did this or that because I've got these other things going on instead of just resenting that he doesn't notice that I need his help. So again, I think it's communication and just saying, here's what I need. And for a woman to, to own that instead of uh, just waiting to see if she's noticed. That's good. I've, you know, I've noticed that with my own daughter. I'm a single father. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed that in, in my interactions with my own 12-year-old daughter that there's times where she's reticent. And I have to tell her, like, no, please, if you need help, please don't just go in your room and get frustrated mm-hmm. and start crying. Because, like, if you if you can't figure that out, just come ask me. Right. I'm more than happy to help. But I have had to continually reinforce that to her. Mm-hmm. And I'd never, till you said that, I'd never really latch on to the fact that maybe she's not the only girl mm-hmm. that struggles with that. Like, it's okay to say, I don't know how to do this. Well, I think there's two things going on. On one hand, if you have a, if you'd have a self-image or an unworthiness about your self-thought, I'm not worthy of, of bothering somebody. Yes. Or your image of yourself is uh, that you can't handle things. You, you, don't, you don't feel like you have the right or the confidence to really own and communicate to someone else how you feel and that you do need help. And then on the other hand, we have a society that says women should be capable of doing everything and doing it perfectly. And so you have to admit weakness and you don't want to admit weakness or that you're not in control or that you lack something. Uh, so a really healthy, emotionally healthy woman is someone who knows I am valuable. I am uh, worthwhile. I am a comp- confident and capable person. And yet there are, there are parts of navigating life that I can't do on my own. And it's okay to ask for help and expect that help to be there. I'm going to ask you one more question about this because I'm I'm genuinely curious because I'm not a woman and I don't run around with like all my girlfriends sort of thing. Do women hold other women at a standard to where it would be viewed as weakness or they're the nail that sticks out if they are not fully capable of doing everything? Like, is there a kind of a competition or a sense of competition, like toe the line among women? Like is some of that mm-hmm. pressure, does it come from a woman's, uh, the women that surround her to where she doesn't want to be the weak link in the chain where of course I have everything together. Of course mm-hmm. I can do everything. 
I really think it depends on the group of friends. If there's shallow connections and you're really more competing with each other, then of course you're not going to admit to the all the ways your life has fallen apart. But if you've got some good friendships, it's pretty you go women can go deep really quick. So even women who don't know each other well, if they sense if they sense there's some a common place of values and a trust with one another that they'll just start airing all the stuff that's going on in their life. I mean, women really will go pretty deep quick. I think though they rally around one another well, but at the same time, if there's somebody outside of their group that maybe is falling apart or acts like everything is perfect, they're also really quick to throw darts to, Oh, so-and-so thinks she's got it all together and you know, she's falling apart just like we are. And okay. so it's it's an interesting dynamic. Women can pack up with each other and be fierce to protect one another, but they can also have as a pack, they can turn on another woman that's that's maybe not doing things as well or as as I said, presenting herself as having a perfect life. Either extreme can make you a, a focus of <laughs> of that pack mentality sometime. In your opinion, if the world were to get quiet for a minute and women knew that they would be heard What's something that you think women would want our culture, not the world, let's just keep it at our culture. What do you mm-hmm. think that women would want our culture to know about about them in general? The word rest and peace is coming to my mind. I think I think women would want to say to the world, let's take a pause. Let it be okay for me to have a day of rest. Because we do expect women to be producers to produce income for the family in a job, to get the kids to all of the practices, to be active in different clubs and just have this full, robust, active life. But we don't give permission very well in our culture to say, you need rest. You need to slow down. It's okay to not do all of those activities. Um, it's, okay to, it's okay to have a slower pace of life and a more simple life. I think every woman I know would appreciate the gift of being told, why don't you take a day and have no responsibilities and no expectations and no burdens and just be restful? Do you think social media has played any role in perhaps getting us to the spot that you're describing? I I really do. I think that social media can have some good benefit in connecting people that don't get to see each other often. I think social media can be a fun way to show a few pictures of your family to, uh, you know, maybe some extended relatives who live in another state. But social media can also have a dark side where you do compare what you see other people post to your own life. And you're seeing, you know, yet yet another vacation by a certain person. And you think, how can they go on three vacations and I don't have time to take two days off? And you start feeling discontent with your own life because you think somebody else's life is so much better. And I think that breeds jealousy, um, that that it, it breeds con- uh, competitiveness, and it also breeds secrecy, where you don't want to put the things out there that are difficult, but you'll put the things out there that are good, which makes everything out there look like everyone's living this beautiful, perfect life that they're not. Which oddly reminds me of the culture of so much of Western Christian churches. right. Everybody yeah. shows up every Sunday. I, I wore this out in my book. Everybody shows up with clothes they don't wear, a smile, their Facebook smile. It's yeah. like everybody shows up to assure everybody their mm-hmm. life just it looks exactly the same as it does on Facebook. Right. See, look how perfect and happy we are. 
and you, I, I read right through it. I'm like, you're just, yeah. there's so much pain in your eyes. But if you won't drop that, like you should be able to spill that on the floor right here. Right. And come through that door. You know what? It's so perfect. I don't even know why you're here. Right. What do you need? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I know yeah. I'm a broken mess. Yeah. Like, I come here looking for Jesus. Yeah. And I want to meet him. Because I need him badly, and that's a that's a very good place to have that space to do that um, on social media. I think if you were to if you were to throw the mess out there and the falling apartness out there, it comes across as you're trying to get pity or sympathy, which again it's a two it's just a double edged sword. Here you are now you're trying to be authentic, and you are going to have people say, well, you need to keep that stuff private and you, you know deal with your stuff somewhere else, and oh you just want you want to get attention. Um, so really, there is no, there's no great way to interact with people on social media beyond just a friendly way to connect. If you try to go super deep, I think that should be done in personal relationships. And see, what I'm wondering is if part of that culture, and I'm just thinking out loud here off the cuff, if social media kind of has enabled that culture to rise I don't remember everybody being perfect in the churches I grew up in. Like it was a very, if, if you were having a crappy day and life was falling apart, like people came to the church right, and said, I really need to talk to some people. I really like, there was no, like that became suddenly it was like the fire department showed up like, Hey, we have a person in need here and we're going to just, it doesn't matter at this point. That's on the critical list. Let's help this family. Let's help whatever. Like it was totally safe. And over the course of my 53 years, I have watched this sanitizing of right. where you come through. And that's the last place you come through and throw stuff. But that that culture, that's part of why I want to do this podcast is to get... I do believe that in our faults and our failings, we do find a lot of common ground with each other because we're not as different as we like to pretend we mm-hmm. are. And we're still just... We all struggle with largely the same things and they might have a little different flavor to them. But they are still kind of manifestations of the same struggles and that look different. This is, I'm ambushing you with this question. <laughs> okay. So if, if we wanted to try to start moving church, let's say, let's keep it at Christian church culture in the United States. Cause I can't speak for other countries. I, I'm not in those countries where I know what that culture is like. If we wanted to start making it authentic and genuine where people feel safe to come through the door to where they're not, Equating that to a social media platform where they think if I come through the door and I say this, everybody's going to think I'm seeking pity or attention. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas of where that starts? Like, how do we start separating that to where the social, where the church lobby is not a social media platform? I think part of it is having a, a less formal gathering to have people encouraged to come and having your having your uh, leaders and ministers and people who are in the nursery and ushers, all of those folks looking as everyday life as possible. Because this relationship with God is not a Sunday morning for an hour formal experience. It is a all day long, everyday relationship with God that should feel like the family of God coming together to enjoy one another and help one another at the time of their gathering. And even Sunday mornings may not be the best time anymore. We have families with lots of activities 
that as a church, you could say, you know what, because we want to really be together at the best time for everybody, we might need to change our time. So a a church that's willing to look at style things, uh, dress, rigidness, uh, formality, uh, structure, all of those pieces from the point of view of how do we break down barriers for that person who's hesitant to come in the door? Can we get into and be empathetic with the person that feels like, I don't know how to dress here. I don't know where I'm supposed to sit. I don't, you know, all Mm -hmm. of those barriers that a person coming in would feel, can we break those down and make changes? Even if we like some of the stuff, can we change it to be hospitable and kind to the folks that are having a hard time entering in? I think that's really important. I'm not sure of all the answers to every question, but I think if you start with the right question that that you together with a heart of compassion led by God will will find the right answers for your congregation. Thank you for humoring me by <laughs> ambushing you with the question. I'm going to color outside the lines here for just a second, only because Rob is sitting here. We have not disclosed that in a previous episode, but Rob is also a pastor. But you're sitting right here, Rob, and I'm going to turn the mic over here. Same question to you. So if we want to break down to make the churches an inviting place for broken people to come say, I'm broken and I don't have the answers, but I need help. How do we get there? I think we as church folk, we have to first admit our own brokenness. And that we're, we're I, I really appreciate what you said about uh, we need to spill it on the floor, that we show up in clothes that we don't normally wear to put on airs. There's a whole, I think, emotional dynamic that we we have this false self that we're trying to promote on Sunday mornings. We're trying to keep our, self, our false self alive versus crucifying the, self, the, the false, the false self, self. Yes, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to transform us to, to, be, uh, to be our true self. I, I think also, particularly in my context, I don't know that people show up to worship God. I think they show up to worship the way they worship or worship the way they prefer. And so the worship is not really about God. It's about worshiping what they prefer. And so that that's very a, a, it's a turnoff for folks that this is the way that you worship, but it's not you're worshiping worship the way you worship, not worshiping God. And I think it's how we, how we see ourselves and promote ourselves. There's... Within us, we don't want to admit our brokenness. And the place to be broken is in church. But we have so many folks that don't want to admit their own brokenness. We're not very emotionally healthy in the Christian church in the in the U.S. We're going to shut this one off here. Joy, thank you very much for coming and being brave enough to be the first interviewed woman on the Men You're Not Alone podcast. And uh, Rob, I appreciate you you hanging here, and you two have been here a long time, and I can't thank you enough for that. So I wish I wish you the best, and that'll wrap up episode one hundred and five, and I will catch you on the next one.